This is my first time recording an intro on the road. I'm here in a hotel room in North Carolina getting ready for work, and I apologize, I don't have my pop filter for this intro. Today's guest is a powerhouse. In just the last year, Chloe Wepper has been recurring on Freeform's Good Trouble, shot the NBC pilot Prism, gone around the world and back for a major commercial campaign, and is now appearing in the Between Two Ferns movie on Netflix. We are lucky to get a moment of this busy, talented lady's time, and she's going to talk to us about her direct, story-based approach to the work, how to deal with the ups and downs of pilot season, and why she hates to be, in her words, bamboozled. Let's get to it. Lock it up, very quiet and still. Ready. Scene one, take three, A mark. Chloe, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Uh, you've got your Starbucks. You let me know that I gave you the wrong order. Yeah, I asked for nitro, and instead I got a grande cold brew. I heard the italics on yeah. grande cold mm-hmm. brew. It's okay. I'll, I'll deal with it. So here's an honest <laughs> question that I have that I'm setting you up for with that. Yeah. Is uh, I don't know a lot of people who feel fully comfortable to be like, that's not what I ordered. Rather than leading with the people-pleasing apology yeah. right off the bat, first and foremost. And I admire the hell out of you for that. <laughs> so I do want to be honest. Um, that is a quality that I think is great, but it is kind of remarkable to me. Yeah, in this day and age especially, I guess you're right. I just can't, I can't be bothered to fake it. I just don't want to... I looked you dead in the eye and I said, this isn't the correct drink, but I still appreciate that you brought me something. You know, it's something just, something was clearly lacking. Wrong, I mean, it's the wrong drink. It's the wrong drink. It's the wrong drink. I asked for nitro and you brought me a cold brew. Well, maybe when this show gets sponsored by the <laughs> I'm nitro not mad company. at you, but I, I there's this. Th- but I think, disappointed. No, I think there's a thing. I'm not disappointed in you because that's something that you couldn't have helped. But for me, it's just like the thing in the air is here's your drink. Oh, thanks. And there's this little moment that's sitting there where you know it's not the right drink and I also know it's the right drink. So why, it's not the right drink. So why would we just let that moment pass? Why not just both say like, hey, this isn't the right thing, but thank you. Is that what we should do is look each other in the eye and say, hey, this isn't the right thing, but this thank you. This isn't the right thing, but thank you. Thank you. I don't want to ignore the truth. Wow, hard-hitting wow. journalism Whoa. right off the top. Whoa. Um, so, real question though, where did that come from? Was that, did you just show up out of the womb very direct and honest and needing the truth? That is um, a good question. Or did that show up, uh, I don't know, after puberty, after college? I'd say it probably showed up more so later. I think my childhood played a really big part in that. A huge thing for me is which is a challenge for me is I am I'm like my self-preservation is not to get bamboozled for lack of a better word (laughs) I just cannot I don't want to be lied to I don't want to be tricked and that probably came out of uh, a horrible stepfather that I had (laughs) It's going right there. <laughs> Who just like, yeah, he kind of like messed with what's the truth, what are people's intentions. And I think that is uh, a really a big part of me. It's like I'm trying not, I'm trying to find the truth always. And like I'd rather someone be honest with me than pussyfoot. So don't pussyfoot around my goddamn cold <laughs> brew. <laughs> I'm not going to pussyfoot around the cold brew. I'm not going to pussyfoot around this. Um, but that's a big part. I think that's a huge part of my personality. You're right. Of just like don't. I mean, it's, it's like something that I'm constantly working on in, in therapy, too. It's just like, don't, um, I don't want to, I don't like to be lied to. I don't like to be tricked. That. About your nitro cold brew. About my nitro cold brew. I also my, have very strong opinions is also. Really? A, yeah. My experience of you. Yeah. Has always been that you kind of showed up fully formed. In, oh, in my experience of you. Now, obviously, people grow, people mm-hmm. develop, and I've definitely seen some of that with you, too. But there are people who I've met at the studio who who they were when I first met them compared to the work they're doing now, the person they've grown into. There's just like a massive change where they really had to kind of discover themselves or leave something behind or finally grow up or get out of that relationship. And to an extent with you, we became friends. I still remember the first rehearsal yeah. at my house, which I think was the best rehearsal I ever ran in my life, oh which my is God. you and Franklin showed up. We thought other people were going to be there. And I said, Let, no chit chat. I don't want to talk to either of you. I just want to get right to the scene. Wow. And then we did that. 
and I actually pulled off this like, no, we're going to do that. I'm going to manage this space. And then once it was over, at exactly, I think, 90 minutes, I then had Boddington's for everybody. Oh, yeah. I do remember <laughs> the hang. We, I do not remember. To now to call the truth, I don't remember that rehearsal. But then but in I the really backyard, remember right? in the backyard hanging out. With you, though, I felt like there was a chance that coming on that strong was mm-hmm. going to be a turnoff for a lot of people. And little did I know that the two people at that rehearsal were Franklin Killian and you, two people <laughs> who were the, like, very to the point. Yeah. They did, neither of you pussyfoot, way less than I do. Um, so it ended up being exactly right. But being kind of impressed and thrilled that that was a working dynamic that you were into, and it never felt like we looked back from there. When we work, Yeah. Um, we'll kind of get straight to it. We'll also chat around it. But there's this like, let's be honest, let's get right at why we're here. Yeah. So we're, so that started, how young are you when you're saying that's part of your story? Which part of my story? The I, I was always kind of like that stepdad. And this I, is in New York or my... No, this is in Miami. So okay. I... I, and I'm f- I'm from like a few places. Uh, Tell us your origin story. Yeah, a little yeah. Bit. I was born in New York City, um, Lenox Hill Hospital, and um, when I was about one and a half or yeah, like one, we moved. My father wanted to retire. He was a lot older than my mom, uh, and he was in his late, like mid to late forties, I believe. And they moved to Miami, where he were he retired and um he then passed away when i was two and my mom was very very young and um she was like 30 i mean something and she was like 31 or something like that or 30 um no she was she was turning 30 sorry she was about to turn 32 and uh then a few years after that she she's colombian and then we she met a a colombian guy her her second husband and we moved to bogota colombia <laughs> which when people ask me when the dates are a little foggy so i just answer season 2 of narcos cuz it really was <laughs> during what took place in season two of Narcos. So what's it like growing up in that? It was actually... How much were you aware that that's what's going on? I was aware. I was aware, but not that. I was like, wait, this guy's on the loose? That's crazy. Look at this country club. Like, I just, you know, I I was probably like five or something. And I do remember where I was when uh, they found his body slash killed him i was at my uh step-grandmother's house just uh, fill in the hymn oh pablo escobar there we go yeah yeah he was on the loose i didn't want people to think it was your stepdad no no no. he was on the loose when i was he had escaped prison when i was living in bogota so dangerous i remember i I was actually watching season two and halfway through i paused an episode and i called my mom and she was like hey i go hey what were you thinking and she was like what do you mean i'm like i'm watching season two she's like yeah i don't I don't really know. It's pretty crazy. I was like, yeah, we were living there during that time. She's like, yeah, I don't know. And then I was like, okay, well, I'll see you later. Um, and then we moved back to Miami after three years in in Colombia. And I uh, I also really started I- identifying with being Colombian, living in, in Bogota, which I, I love. That's a really big part of me. Uh, and my mom... Uh, you know, my mom was Colombian, but she mostly had grown up in New York. But anyway, we moved back to Miami. I went to high school in Miami. And then I moved back to New York for college. So I'm like kind of bouncing around a lot for 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 some of this. And then I was in New York for about eight years and moved to L.A. now seven and a half, almost eight years ago. So which place feels like home to you? I, L.A. L.A. feels like home. Yeah. I And for a while, I... A few years ago, I would have probably said I don't know, which is unnerving. It's not nice to feel like you you don't have a home. I, I hadn't, you know, I went to Miami for the first time this summer since 2010. I just like had no connection to Miami, even though my phone number is still 305 and I will never, ever. Miami ride or die unless Miami you're asking where home is. Like, I mean, you can't get rid of uh, have an area code that's in rap songs. Like, you just can't do that. <laughs> you know, home of Trick Daddy and Trina. Um, yeah, so L.A. feels like home now. So how does a young girl growing up bouncing between Miami and Bogota end up an actress? Well, she watches Cabaret. Ooh. Ooh. Liza Minnelli. Yeah, Liza, Liza did it for me. I... 
I don't think I'd ever seen a movie like that. And um, we were living in Miami and my brother went to boarding school uh, in New Jersey and he was home for the summer and they were going to do a production, which is hilarious that high school was going to do a production of Cabaret. <laughs> my high school, did, I was did the understudy really? as a sophomore. He was as I believe, a prepubescent I, sophomore, oh, wow. which was the whole take on the character. Wow, it was really weird. yeah, I, he was. I believe he was eventually got the role of the MC, um, but we watched the movie. We watched the movie, or he he brought it home. We went to Blockbuster Video, and R.I.P. Yeah, and we watched the movie, and you know, I wish I could say something less narcissistic, like. You know, the movie was amazing, which it was, but the truth is that the opening credits are, a black, as I remember, is like a black background with the names of actors in the in all white caps. Mm -hmm. So it's like Liza Minnelli. And one of the actors has my last name. And so his name is, uh, I think it's either Fritz, I think it's Fritz Wepper. And I saw my name. <laughs> I saw my name in life and my I needed to go after like, that dream. These all these white black I mean these white block letters with a black background just so clear and I and it really was like oh, that's what I want like I want that I want my name to roll before a movie starts and then the movie was great and the movie was amazing and Liza Minnelli is amazing so let me let me unpack so like that eight. a little bit yeah because that's not about being uh about telling a story yet yeah, it, um, right exactly so do you feel on some level like oh i can be seen yes. in a way that i haven't been absolutely seen and i think i also just was i i was becoming aware at that point of like m the ability to make people laugh and 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 the ability that i had to connect with with grown-ups even though i was really young and and how i just liked i just liked that i i just felt really I felt like, okay, I, I, I don't, I maybe have these inner thoughts that I don't know how to communicate. You know, I feel, I feel like I don't have a home or I'm like a little lost and I don't really know what I want. But when I'm, when the attention is on me and I'm like telling a story or playing a part and I'm a little kid, that feels very tangible and I know what that feeling is and it feels good and I want to do that. Do you feel like you still get similar things out of acting or that you needed to kind of change that relationship as it went from a little kid's interest to a career? I definitely changed that uh, because I don't, I don't, I don't need acting to be my outlet to be seen anymore. It's a it's a way, and but I'm more confident in who I am as a person before I'm even confident as an actor that they go hand in hand now. I don't need that as like a an, an outlet. Like I'm I'm good and I'm a, I'm doing well in my regular life that I don't need a part to speak to me and like that's my only outlet. That's something I find a lot is that I think a lot of actors are still in the dark about why they started doing it. Mm. Um, I think people love movies, people love theater, people love telling stories, and I don't mean to question that part. Right. But I don't think for most people that that's really the itch that's getting scratched. I think that's the the apparent event is I like being in plays, mm -hmm. and the beneath event, I know for me, uh, I grew up in a house that was full of love, but also a lot of secrets yeah. and a lot of stuff going on, and I was the youngest and uh, had a kind of a prodigy for a brother. People paid attention to me. Yeah. I got admiration i got i got witnessed and i liked that and on top of that i also felt kind of i was a scared kid i was kind of sick a lot and things like that and the idea that someone would tell me what to do because mm -hmm. the directors when you're that age are just telling you what to yeah. do and then you find something in there and then later people are actually going to watch they're going to shut the fuck up for it and then they're going to applaud that that was a big part of it yeah. for me and until I actually went through as an adult and pulled that weed and like basically accepted I got into this for reasons that are not artistically pure. Right. I wasn't going to stop trying to get those things from my work until I acknowledged it. Yeah. And I basically had to let that version of me die, that artist. Yeah. To let someone who like actually likes on camera acting and connecting with people and being vulnerable and exploring self without really any rewards. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I, I think, you know, hearing you talk about it in that way, I'm remembering in high school that 
the feeling that I got was, oh my God, for these few minutes, I can forget about the stuff at home. I can forget about how people see me. And, and you know, I was a really, really tough kid. Like, I, I mean, I was tough. I had a really sharp tongue and I, no one, I, I carried myself around in high school. Like, don't, don't fuck with me. <laughs> I highly recommend not fucking with me. And I wasn't mean, but I just had this like tough exterior that I think I was really, uh, I was really set on preserving. And so when I acted, it was like these few minutes where I was like, oh, okay, okay. I, I like people can kind of see me, but like not not too much, and I can control the environment, and I can control people's, I can control the audience with a laugh or with a pause you know, or, or whatever it is. And I, I had to let go of that because they, those are, those are scary to me. Those are scary, manipulative, unpure things to, to, to start playing with when you're an adult, you know, like, Oh, I need to do this scene and I need to act because like, this is the only way in my life that I feel like I can have an emotional outlet. Like that doesn't feel healthy to me. Yeah, that's where when people say you kind of like need it more than anything, I kind of question that statement a little bit because I find when people need it like yeah. that, where it's like kind of dripping with intensity and, and totally. desperation, that that is related to not anything bad in a person, like no judgment, but an unresolved psychological thing that people want. My therapist talked about it that she said most people are trying to either get admiration, love, or control. Yeah. Uh, I, at I all would times. argue that I wanted all three of and, those. Hey, you had the trifecta. Yeah, I wanted all three. I, I think that to some extent I wanted all three. For me, I think the biggest was admiration, I think, just to be seen. But, yeah. but that w if you have not acknowledged which of those is getting scratched, the odds of transcending it to get to other uses of your art, which often are more useful to actually booking some work, yeah. don't happen because yeah. it's too personal. I, I think in college that started kind of the, that that became a little apparent. Like so where'd I started, you go? Tell me about that. I went to NYU. I went to... Which school? I went to Tisch, and I studied at the Atlantic Theater Company. Um, and I, w I was thinking about this today because I, I was... I think... When I think of the person that I was when I was 17, the, the way that I decided or, like, ended up at that school, now looking back, is insane. I... <laughs> I applied early, early decision, and told myself, if I don't get into Tish, I'm not going to pursue acting. I mean, that's crazy it's for like a 17-year-old kid to set. I was really rigid, and it was this control thing, the same thing of like, if this school that to me is the very best acting school and is the kind of people that I want to be around and will make me the best actor doesn't want me, then I'm not good enough, which is just... I mean, thank God I got in, but I, that's like a really scary and sad, intense thing for a 17-year-old to put on themselves. And um, yeah, I, I said if I didn't get in, I would, uh, it's funny, I think I was like, yeah, I'll just like go to Vassar. <laughs> just like, who says I would have gotten into Vassar? I'll just go to Vassar or Skidmore. And like, uh, bard. yeah, or and like I study. I applied to all of those. And, <laughs> And and study uh, and and what, what what was it called? I'm like a liberal arts. I don't know why I sound like Samantha Jones um, from <laughs> Sex and the City. <laughs> I'll go to Vassar, um, but I got in, and so I was like, oh, okay, great. I mean, I just I just think of that, and I think of I, I think of that 17 year old kid who just put all of these, uh, you know, just so rigid. Um, and, and obviously, back then, acting was something that I had to be good at and I had to be perfect at. And, the, and, the, and people had to think I was good and perfect at it. And uh, in college, that intensity and that I have to be perfect really got broken down <laughs> for a semester. You know, just they really chip away at who you are as a person and <laughs> try to build you back up. 
But it was really an and it was a. Do you think it's awakening. really chipping away? Because I I mean no, there's I think it's a just version the veneer. It. It's like the the shit. The, it's like the bullshit. The bullshit. It's yeah. like what you think you are. And we'll I was get rid scared. And when the bullshit was was getting chipped away, I was really scared that there wouldn't be anything left. I was really scared that I, I was just that's all I had was bullshit. Was like tricks. I was just full of good comedic turns, uh, big character stuff, and I couldn't, and I was terrified to connect or be vulnerable, even though inside I had a well of vulnerability, but I was just like, but isn't acting about like not letting people see who you are, which is now like the complete opposite. I was like, isn't it about like being someone else? Um, And I'd say Atlantic really, really helped with that. And I think that's, that is where I started falling in love with storytelling. And that's where my focus shifted from myself to the story. And that was so such a special moment for me because the second I had I could take away the attention on on how I was doing and just service a story, it really, really helped me because uh, I had a new focus. And the focus was uh the focus was for the greater good of the play or, or of the greater good of, of the audience. And the script and my script analysis class is what like really made me fall in love with that. I'm going to compliment you here. Uh, something that you do that I've noticed a handful of people in my life do, and they all work. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, all these people who do this, they're all working yeah. to some extent is when you ask them about the scene or they're even just talking about it in the first place, the amount of story that you remember that you communicate that you share and that you obviously seem into that you've figured out a way to drink the kool-aid on mm. it because uh, i'll ask you like okay so who is this person and you will tell me and i <laughs> Too mean this much at, information. no no but not that right i mean it's awesome i mean you know the story yeah in a way that most people if you read it once uh, you know it's about these, these guys and this happens and uh, anyway in this scene yeah. where my character is right and i get it um, but the people I know who tend to work the most, you will hear about the entire damn project leading up to there. There'll be a couple beats that you're like, no, but then this thing happens and it's so scary or so funny or right. so X, Y, or Z. And there is a real comprehension and love or, or interest or curiosity in the entirety of it. And then we find kind of where you land in it. Mm. And other people... What is it about? I don't know. Did you read the script? I didn't. I didn't get a chance to. Do you, what's the breakdown? Uh, he's like he's he's like he's angry and he's I don't know. It, it's all right. so general. And I don't mean that it's a lack of work either. I think it is about the relationship to the story itself and and really buying into that there's something extra valuable there to be found and yeah. to be taken by. Yeah. Well, thank you. Um, that is really how I work these days. I have to, if I don't love the story or what is, you know, what the point of the script is, then I should probably pass. So how do you get to that? So w- let's say an audition comes in for you. Yeah. What is the next, you get that email or uh-huh. text message or call or whatever the hell. What are the first 30 minutes like for you? Uh, okay. Ooh. I first... Let's see. I get an. It's always an email, mm-hmm. and it's like that generic. You know, the, your every agent has every agency has their own little template. template. Yep. <laughs> I'd love to see your template. Oh, we'll share. <laughs> you show me yours, and I'll I'll show you my template. Yeah, we'll do a we'll do a link in the show notes with everything. Yeah, I'll out. be like, That's oh, important. interesting. Producers first. Um, Man, yeah. this person says you're invited to. <laughs> that sounds so kind. Yeah, I do like when they're like, for your interest. Pending your interest. And I'm just like, I'm fucking interested. I'm not working. I'm well, interested. And if I told you I wasn't, you'd be furious. Yeah, of course I'm interested. <laughs> Whatever. Um, I guess I have to make a phone call after this and tell them, like, stop saying if I'm interested. I'm not working at the moment. Um, no, uh, yeah, I, I'll read it. And I'm, I'm probably most interested first by who is attached to it and who's working on it. I mean, not like actors who are attached, but who's writing it, who's directing it, who's producing it. Um, And then equally as important is who's casting it. Because um, I, a few years ago, I decided accidentally and on, on purpose really that more important than getting any role or any booking any audition or part it's how I show up in the room 
as a professional and how I interact with that casting director. So when you say professional, what does that mean to you? It means um, being prepared and being prepared to play and being prepared to take feedback Let's without break ego. down preparation though even more because I yeah. think it's easy to say preparation so some people might think so you, you learn all your lines or is it that you like like what you're wearing like break down what preparation means to you at least what like if x y and z are true I feel prepared or yeah I mean for me I I learned very quickly that I have to be off book I have to I'm very bad if I'm not uh because the words don't matter, kind of. And if I'm looking at the page for them, I'm giving them importance. Then they matter. Then they matter, and then I can't get the thought out, so then they're too important, and then the words are the most important thing in the room, and it's and it's not. So I, it's weird. It's like I have to know it, like I have to be completely off book so that I don't even have to worry about it. And so I can just tell the how do story. you learn lines? I do not sit down and memorize lines. I cannot. What do you do? Uh, what I do is a little JRS. I learned that here, actually. Uh, and it's been, I've learned that, you know, I've been at the studio, what, for six years or seven years or something? I learned that probably, like, in uh, tool shop. What, what was the... What? It, this is what I do. So this is personally. I will read the sides a few times over and over again. And I also will kind of play around with what sticks, like what line, usually like one line will stick. That is like, oh, maybe that to me is my way into the character. This one line is really funny or this one line is super interesting. Sometimes it's not even my line. Sometimes it's another character's line. And I'll, and then I'll put it down. I'll probably read it two or three times, put it down and then it stays with me because I'm obsessive and it, acting is my job. So it just like sticks with me. And then I'll text you for <laughs> uh, a coaching. I coach everything she does i coach everything uh we'll set up a time and then i won't really look at it too much and if i have the script i'll read the script and then maybe look at it you know go over the scene two or three times i mean just reading it i show up off book to our coachings you do uh go back to learning the lines though because what we have is that you read them a couple times you're looking for something that sticks with you but where's the moment where you actually learn them? the moment that i learn them is in the coaching in the coaching yeah i leave your house off book without actually sitting to learn them because the story has stuck with me so much during this time that I've been mulling it over and thinking about it that then we're working on beats or on moments and I'm like you know I'm looking at the page and connecting with you and then by the time we're done it's all in my head and then I if I have an extra if I have that night and the audition isn't until the next day or a few days I won't look at it again until the day of and then I've realized that all the lines are there because it's the story it's like I have to know what the character's going through and then the lines just come and if I and if I can't remember a line that means I'm not I'm unclear on the story yeah there's a problem there. there's a problem so many people, I think, just try the same thing again and again and again, and almost always sit just sitting just down memorize. and, yeah. and looking at and like at cover it. and memorize. The only person I know who does really great with that, her method includes that there's a timer on it. She's like, oh, I sit down. I think it's I think it's forty minutes, which sounds really long for me personally. Yeah. But she basically is like, for this chunk of maybe it's twenty minutes, but it's this chunk of time, and the, and the timer's going. She can look at it at any moment. I'm just going to try to learn. It's my only focus. No phone, no TV, just every... My family members could die and I won't find out about it for half an hour. Right. Uh, but then she's like, then I put it away. Yeah. And then it's and then it's done. It's done, but yeah. But that's the only, the only person I know who can do that. Really, it's related to almost treating it like an Olympic event for just a moment, which is like, this is memorization time. I'm going to get it. Then she goes and exercises, takes a walk yeah. or whatever and lets all that stuff kind of mull around. And then parts of the scene will just like come up like will just pop in to my head and I'll go over them that way and I'll say them out loud and I say the lines out loud and then like you know in the morning of or the day of the audition I'll I'll like run it in my head I'm not really looking at the page and then if I'm bumped up on a line that's just like I can't it's usually like oh I got the word wrong I'll just go over it that way and then I show up off book and I'm just like ready to play it sounds really um not helpful <laughs> i think it does though because i think if anyone's like well how do you end up ready to play or something right. like that well that's make your question the answer which is if things you are doing do not set you up to play we need to start over yeah i think what 
the main thing is that I just become obsessed with the story and what the point of the scene is. Like, what's the point of the scene? And then the lines, when I know what the point is and what the um, the arc of it and what the story is and where it you know where it sits in in the whole scheme of of the play or actually never a play. I don't know why I said that screenplay. Uh, then I I just know what the function is and I know where it exists for me. One of my theories for actors is that acting class is necessary. You need to be yes. you need to be working. But the but is that if you use it badly, it'll fuck you up more than anything else. Ooh. I know so many people who don't rehearse for class. So what is preparation to them? It's scrambling to remember lines an hour beforehand. And then acting is not a present experience and it's not fun and it is all about the words and that's what you've practiced. Yeah. And then the next time, then all of a sudden an audition comes in which has infinitely higher stakes than any acting class because there's a job there. It's actually why you're here. And what do we do in that moment? We go to what we've practiced. Even if you have a better uh, idea and you're like, oh man, when the audition comes through, I'll do this. We do, we do, do what we- Do the same thing, yeah. We do what we practice. Practice doesn't yeah. make perfect, it makes permanence. And if every time you're just begging to know the lines and hoping you can pull it off up there, that's what your auditions are gonna look like. So something I always tell my class, and I hope that people do this, is like use acting class to get ready for your auditions. It yeah. sounds cr it sounds obvious, but I think a lot of times people are not doing that. It's it's treading water. It's it's checking it off a list to make sure they did their acting for that week. Right. But it's not the same as actually. I need to learn how to play in this, so I need to I need to figure out how to get to that place or or what kind of foundation I need to build to do that. Yeah, yeah. It's how you show up. So, NYU, NYU breaks down some some walls, yeah. some protective areas. It gives you kind of a at least the basics of a technique that you feel pretty totally. good with. Practical aesthetics, baby. Baby, <laughs> want to break down what that is for a second? Oh wow, uh, yeah, sure. So uh, it's it's really um, script based, which was such a like thank God I ended. I mean, honestly, really thank God I ended up there. Is that studio the one that has that book, a Practical Handbook yeah, for the Actor? Yeah, it's called a Practical Handbook for the Actor. God, yes. That title is so made for me. It, <laughs> I, it real. I was like, ooh, yeah. I love when it talks dirty to me with pragmatism and like <laughs> practical. Yeah, and it's like it's like eighty pages exactly. <laughs> yeah. There's no, there's no uh, Ivana Chubbuck telling me that to, I, God, I remember like I read, I had to do, I think heroin in like some play. And I remember like, oh, she has a chapter on how you play heroin. Oh my God. And look, for anyone who this works for, mazel, go get it. Yeah, yeah. But it's something like, I want you to imagine that your brain is gum. Okay. And the gum gets just like pulled into a million pieces. Yeah, no, that does not And I am trying to do this and I'm thinking like. <laughs> Fuck this! Never, never in a million years. But you know what's funny is that I think before I even went to Atlantic, that's kind of what I thought I was gonna get, and I was like, oh god, like I don't think I can do sense memory. I I had a pretty good life. I I grew up in Miami, <laughs> like in Coconut Grove. No, you're I also the one who just said that you're growing up in Bogota in, while Pablo Escobar's running. Around. Sure, but I mean, like, look, if we want to go into the socioeconomic sure. uh, divide yeah. that was happening in Colombia for a bunch of Americans, for a bunch, for my, you know, a couple of Americans to show up, like we were doing okay. We were fine. We were yeah. good, and um, and so I was worried about that. And then they assign this book, and it's just basically Mamet being like, anyone can be a fucking actor, and that that line kind of scared me because mm. I you know I think at that age I wanted to feel so special yeah I want to be that, special um reading a book that was like anyone can do it you just you know some people are going to be find the essential action and you're done exactly and I was like wait what but he's right and they're like they're right it's just everyone's going to have a different way of getting there and then that's the part that's we will deem either interesting or not interesting <laughs> but um yeah, so you it's like a three step as far oh god, I hope like no one from Atlantic is listening to this because I might be wrong. Paging Bill Macy. Yeah, paging but it's a Bill three Macy. part it's a three part process. And the first one is what is literally happening in the scene. Like just the bare bones, no emotion. The apparent event. Yeah, just like this is, you know, that just what's happening. The second is what does your character want? And then you can start adding, you know, uh more descriptive so the apparent things. event was you wanted a nitro coffee exactly <laughs> and it didn't happen no it and would then be the like deeper... chloe's waiting for a coffee that brian brings what does the character want brian to know 
that he brought the wrong coffee. <laughs> okay, okay. And it's like- as if, that's the third part, and as if in your life. And it can't be what's happening. I would probably say like, it's as if Brian brought me the wrong coffee, but I can't do that. <laughs> no, it's as if Brian showed up to my birthday and thought it was someone else's exactly. birthday. Exactly, yeah. And then need me in the face. Yes. So it's the look so it's, it's the, And then there's the as if, which is bringing it to a moment in your life that hasn't actually happened, that you get to act out and, and have. Um, that sounds confused. Does that sound confusing? No, I think that makes sense. It's, yeah. it's you use a little bit of imagination to find it's an like analogous situation. It's like imagination, but with also like something that's actually going on with you. Well, and that, I mean, I'm not going to say anything revolutionary here, but I, I, I think so. Uh, we we say here, never say the meaning of the line. Your thought can't be the meaning yeah. of the line. And often, what you're looking for is some other kind of dynamic or scene that's happening that harmonizes with the text of the scene. Right. And there's two different scenes that are happening, the subtext and the text. Absolutely. And when those two things align to tell the story and bring something interesting out of you, we've got magic. And when it doesn't, it can be incomprehensible. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So it's just like, get a little bit deeper. What's the, it's just, it's all story. What's the story underneath? Yeah. And I, I really, that's what I, that's what I'm fall in love. That's what I've fallen in love with. So you learn that and yeah. NYU, you get yes. a really good base. How much longer do you stay out there before LA? Uh, I stay about three. Three years, because I uh, graduated in 08. Yeah, like three and a half years or so. Uh, and I moved to LA in 2012. Okay. Talk us through. I know that says four, but I graduated in the summer of 2008. And then moved sure, 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 sure. in January. Yeah, your math all checks out. In February of 2012. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, how was LA for you when you got here? It was great. You know, my brother was living here and my mom had moved here about a month before I had. Nice. Uh, so that was really nice and I lived with my mom for the first like 10 or 11 months that I was in the city so it was great. And actually most of my my two best friends that I'd met at NYU were from LA and they'd already moved to, back to LA. So I had this group of friends that were from New York that were my college friends and then they brought into my life their friends from Los Angeles as well and it was just really it was actually kind of wonderful and I felt so I I just felt like yeah this is you know I don't have any connections I don't have my career is you know I was doing some plays and stuff in 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 New York like passion stuff uh I have no career to speak of at the moment, but I don't care because I feel like I really feel like I'm in the right place. So, how did you start a career? I started a career by I was uh, my commercial agent in mm-hmm. New York was uh, CESD, and they set me up with a meeting. You know, it's like this bizarre thing where they're like, "Well, we can't, we can't for sure have your agents." be us in LA Mm -hmm. but you can go meet them and see if they like you and I just thought that was so bizarre I was you know I remember thinking you've signed me why Uh, like okay so now the west coast office might not like me so anyway but I met them and and they decided to to keep me on and I went on a few auditions and very quickly I just want to say maybe three or four months into moving and moving to LA I booked a Macy's commercial and that turned into several Macy's commercials. And uh, I had, they were shooting in New York, so I moved to LA, booked a job that shot in New York. And this is also an example, I think this story of of like cult, of cultivating relationships with people because the director was someone that I, I knew. And it was, um, think I'd worked with him before or I'd auditioned for him a ton in New York and so he he knew me and it was also also I will be honest he was a good friend's uh um brother-in-law and so I just knew him that's how and, this and, works you gotta be yeah. good when that time of comes course, you have to be good. somebody knows the director somebody knows the producer in fact they, lots of somebody's know them yeah and and I and then I was flying to New York you know first class back to New York um where bef- where I'd lived in a basement about like five months before <laughs> these commercials and then that was great and then my friend again another connection a really good friend of mine from NYU that I met through my LA friends was an assistant had been an assistant at three arts and he 
uh, saw, started, saw these commercials airing and he always, he's a big guy on timing. And he said, I think the timing is right for you to meet this manager who was just promoted to junior manager from, she was at a desk. Uh, she was at Dave Becky's mm-hmm. desk. And uh, I think you're ready and I think she's ready. I think you guys should meet. And I was like, three arts, there's no way three arts is gonna sign me. Like that doesn't even make sense to me. <laughs> but sure, I'll go on a meeting to like big, you know, I'll go on a meeting with Amy Poehler's <laughs> a management company, yeah. thanks. And he set me up with, with, uh, with a manager there to meet and uh I remember the day of the meeting they also sent me to an audition <laughs> and I thought that was cruel. It's <laughs> like this is really fucked up. I'm going to meet you but before I have like I feel like my pre-meeting is this audition and one of the I, I'm pretty sure one of the partners of Three Arts was in the meeting. I mean, was in the audition. So it was David Minor. So David Minor is sitting there Oof. and I've like never really had a theatrical audition. I had to sing also. It was for a web series I, I that was on YouTube or something. It was like a good show. And I just remember being so nervous. I was like, I can't believe that I'm meeting someone at Three Arts in like two hours, but first I have to do an audition for one of the partners and like pr- probably not get it. <laughs> And I sang it's big setting up to fail. Yeah, but I, 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 you know, at that point I was in a like whatever. Who cares? You know, I was a little bit more bold. I was, I was young, and um, I sang Mariah Carey's. Come on, I was saying Mariah Carey's "Always Be My Baby." I know you're all wondering what I sang, and that's what I sang. Should we hear a little bit? Absolutely I'm- not. Um, and yeah, I went into the meeting. She had to have someone her senior in there, and he was kind of not interested and like cool yeah i mean like if you write something totally send it to us and i was like okay trey i think that was his you know something like they were very nice and the manager that i was there to see was yeah it was a lovely meeting and it was just like okay great thank you so much and then she uh i was like oh uh, they'd given me coffee and i said I'll, I'll just return the the mug to the kitchen and she was like yeah i'll walk with you to the kitchen so we went to the kitchen i put it down and i said thank you so much and then she kind of cut me off and leaned in and said meet me in my office it's across the hallway and i was like what what and um i did and she was so excited it was like she had to kind of go through the motions of this other meeting with someone mm-hmm. her senior yeah and she was so excited she was overjoyed that we were meeting and I was excited and she just kind of was like I see something I see something in you I can't officially sign you because you have nothing and then you know I was like yeah no I you can show like go ahead and show your partners to Macy's commercials (laughs) or whatever and she was like I don't care I'm gonna hip pocket you and um she sent me on a few auditions and I started getting I think like the and it was a kind of around I think it was must have been around pilot season and I went on a few pilot auditions and uh my I think my first or second audition was for uh it went really well and I got a producer session and the producer session was again with like one of the partners because it was a three arts show and when I left that audition like in the parking lot she called me and said we're officially signing you because they saw you like these producers that are three arts people um are excited too and like they have the they see now so that's how the dream yeah and i've been that manager has moved to other places she's not at authentic authentic and i she has been my only manager um which is rare that's like that's the dream though yeah we just really we were just really excited about each other i was excited that someone saw me and like and you know in moments when I get really really discouraged because that happens a lot and I think like what am I doing it's nice to have someone on the other side of of the business who's really the business person say you know I I see something and just keep going so sometimes I lean on her to kind of pick me up when I'm not really feeling it that's the ideal relationship so yeah um How'd your first pilot season go? My first pilot season. Oh yeah, so that was my first. I went. I think I went. I auditioned for like one or two pilots. My full pilot season. Uh, I had just come off of the CBS Showcase, which was very, very big for me. I had a very, I had a really wonderful and important. I still remember the old timey. Yeah. Character. Had, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. 
my 1930s. 1930s, yeah. Talking yeah. about the up, upside down and everything's <laughs> topsy-turvy. Yeah, I had a really great showcase. I was really, really lucky. And um, that I'd known, so throughout the other, throughout the year leading up to that, I'd met a few casting directors here and there that were big comedy people. And then that was like, you know, the the showcase was just my introduction, um, which was fantastic. It, it really set me up and I was also I remember being so exhausted after the process that I was getting auditions and probably just being like relaxed and good because I had come off a really like intense and sometimes traumatic experience that had lasted five months or six yeah, months those showcases are no showcases joke. so intense and it was amazing and I was so supported by everyone uh at CBS and um so my first pilot season was directly after the showcase. So you got some momentum. I got some momentum. I also, I don't think I've ever really talked about this, but I CBS did offer me a holding deal um, that year after the showcase and a few of us. And I was thinking about, before coming here, I was thinking about that because I was thinking about, you know, what I would talk about in kind of the beginning of, of my career. And I, I passed on it. And I remember thinking like, holy shit, what a, I was like 26 or 27. And I just said, no, thanks <laughs> to CV, to a holding deal, which is funny because I just was like, wow, to be that young and, and confident and. I've heard versions of this story and there's a version of it that people are like, God, how do you do it? And there's the other side, which is, well, if I did one showcase and they offered me a holding deal. Yeah. Other good things are probably going to come. And and also, I have to hand it to my manager for really taking, you know, taking the lead on that. She we talked about it and I was like, "Well, should I take it?" And she just thought, "I just don't think you should. It's <laughs> it's not enough money." <laughs> and I think then you'd be missing out. Like I want you, I think it's more important for you to meet as many casting directors as possible and producers than to take some money and just meet a few. And that was like, I, I just thought she is, she knows what she's doing. Yeah, she's, and she, she's got so, a plan. She was so right. It's, I mean, she said, look, you have these commercials. I, I was very lucky too that I was coming off of, a, I, by that time I'd done like 12 Macy's commercials and some of them, in, in, uh, half of them in Spanish. I would do them in English and in Spanish. So I was, I was also operating from a luxury. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you had uh, some money at that I point. I had some money and I could pass on uh, the safety net of a CBS holding deal because I already had a little safety, safety mm -hmm. net. And she just said, I think it's way more important for you to come off of this showcase and meet like anyone, everyone possible who's excited to have you in the room than maybe go in like for three shows because I'm looking at the grid and looking at the scripts at CBS right now and there are very few shows you're even right for and uh I just trusted her and I said okay and uh it was a good thing I did that because I booked two pilots that season not one, one but two yeah one for ABC and one for NBC so had I taken the holding I wouldn't even been able to go in for, to those rooms how did you decide between the two I did not. I have no... We have no agency, No Brian. agency. We have no agency. No, I... I'm just queuing you up. Yeah. Um. I... Uh, so, I can't remember. I tested... That was my first big pilot season. I tested three times that year. It was really... God, it was really exciting. I just remember... You know, and it's funny. The one that I really, really wanted, like, so bad, because it just, like, had everything that I wanted. Uh, I didn't... That's the one that I didn't get. It went to um, someone else who, I don't know if this is the reason, but she had a holding deal uh, at or a development deal or whatever at, at um, I can't remember what, what network it was. And um, so I was really, so my manager calls me and she's like, you didn't get that one. And I was so bummed. I was like, okay. And she said, but because of what you did in that room, you have two test offers for two shows that you went into went in for three weeks ago that I they'd passed on me, you know. Uh, one show thought I wasn't. Re they were like, "Oh my god, they, we love her. She's great." But I don't think you know we've cast the brother, and the brother's white, so the brothers are white, so it's not really Doesn't gonna work. work but yeah. we love her, and it was like okay. And then the other one was, "She's great, but I I, I don't know. She might be too young for it." 
but because of I, 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 the test for the one that I didn't get was I think a joint like it was like universal for NBC or mm-hmm. something. And so the, one of them was uh, or it was ABC Studios for NBC. So it was like NBC wanted me to test for the NBC uh, the other NBC pilot and mm-hmm. then abc studios wanted me to test for the other abc pilot i don't know you know i don't know if that's if it came out of that room but i think it certainly helped and i was just like okay so it's like bad news good news i guess this is how this industry is always gonna work like you didn't get this one but now you have two other opportunities and um yeah we worked it out where i whoever called first had first dibs and um that was like a courtesy that they worked out and uh, i believe it was you know, this is all like business boring stuff, but it was like ABC told NBC, like we will have, uh, or and it was the other way around. It was like, we're going to, ha- we'll give us 24 hours to decide or 48 hours to decide whether she's going to get the part and then she'll move in first position for you. And so they worked that out. And then I got the other, I got an ABC show. It's called Manhattan Love Story. And while I was in New York shooting, they offered me a different role on the other one. <laughs> Does that make sense? It's quite a good first year. It was pretty crazy. And, you know, while it was happening, I just remember thinking, God damn it, this is never going to happen like this again. And I have been so spoiled. Like, this is the worst way to start. <laughs> um, but I got, I you know, I got, uh, I had a hard couple of years after that. Well, s- before we get there, what's it like booking a pilot? What's it like booking a pilot that goes? Um... What's it like being on that set that feels different from other kinds of sets? I mean, that's a network show. That's Yeah, and it was, you know, I, I, do, I wish I'd enjoyed it more, if I'm being honest. I was very nervous. I, w- I wasn't nervous about my, like, it was like the acting I wasn't nervous about. I was just like, yeah, I'm the sister. I can play the sister. <laughs> um, and my character's name was my name. Uh, I was just like, yeah, that part is fine. But it was how it was going to be. I was really nervous about how it was going to be received, how if it would set me up for other jobs. So I was nervous about things. Already futurizing. Already futurizing things outside of the Silver Cup Studios, which is where we shot. Like, I was just worried and concerned about all of these extra things. And I just wish I'd stopped and realized you moved to Los Angeles to be on a sitcom and you are on a sitcom. So celebrate that. That's the, that is the dream. Like that is what I wanted. I grew up watching friends. I grew up, you know, watching all of these shows and these sitcoms that I was like, I want to do that. I want to, I want to be, I want to do mad about you. Like I want to do that. And, um, I didn't really take it in because I was I was just like this is going to be canceled and and then I won't have made my mark and then I'm not going to be able to get a show after it. Uh, I'm not making enough of an impression on this show that will, you know, set me up for later. I mean, like just stuff that wasn't helping me. What did you have to learn? to get better at that well what i learned was how did you do that well what i learned was i had all of this anticipatory anxiety right anticipating it being canceled and kind of hardening myself to that like whatever it'll be canceled and not not that i thought it would be canceled because of the quality of the show it was just like the nature that's most shows get canceled of the game most pilots don't get made most ones that do don't pilots don't get picked up You know, and and the NBC one that I did didn't get picked up, and I I, I was I thought it was going to be the other way around because the NBC one was like the, you know the, the bell of the ball at NBC, and then, and then like, you read all those deadline like hot stove over yeah. pilot season. It's like word has it that Manhattan Love Story is dead, but the NBC one is 100%. doing great, and I they're mean, always wrong. Manhattan Love Story hadn't even been mentioned in a single article. To the point where the showrunner at ADR for the pilot said, hey, I know we're not being mentioned in articles, but don't worry. Like, I, you know, I'm talking to the president of ABC and he loves the show. And we were like, oh, OK. And mind you, the other one is being written up about of like it's strong and people are loving it. And it didn't get picked up. So it's just it's a crapshoot. Nobody knows. Um, but what happened was that I've been hardening myself and preparing myself for, you know, like I'm again, tough kid. I'm going to, uh, it's going to get canceled and like this fucking sucks and whatever. I'll just prepare myself for that. And then it got canceled and I was so sad. I was so sad. I remember I called my brother and I was crying and I remember, and I, I just, I'd prepared myself, I'd quote unquote prepared myself for this cancellation 
and drove myself crazy and didn't enjoy the dream that I had, that I was living. And guess what? When it got canceled, it still fucking hurt. And it's still canceled. It's still canceled. It didn't, it's not like it got canceled and I was like, ah, yes, I've been preparing for this for months and I feel nothing. (laughs) It was, it still hurt. And then I was just, I I just remember thinking, God, if I just enjoyed those last four months, I, I could be hurt, but then I could have had this amazing experience. And I mean, there were amazing things about it, but I just was, I was, a, I was kind of a, a mess. So what'd you do? How'd you develop? I went to therapy. I decided I had to, because I just thought if I am doing the thing that I'm, I, I is my dream to do, and I can't enjoy it as much as I probably should. I'm having these like out of body experiences while I'm doing it or the moments in between like on set I'm fine I'm great I'm like doing the work I love it but the moments in between are you know feel scary Mm -hmm. then I I need to figure out how'd you find a therapist I asked my therapist friend so you had a friend who's a therapist and said who'd be good for me who'd be good for me and she had a list that she'd sent another friend of mine. So I had that list and I just, you know, I kind of corroborated the list. I was like, hey, is this list still good? And she said, yes. However, there's someone missing off of that list. It must have been like a copy and paste situation. And here you actually like forget that list. Call this person. And um, I did. I, e- I think I emailed her and then she called me within 10 minutes, which was so terrifying. I hated that she called me. I was like, this is such an invasion. Like, I emailed you. Who do you think you are? Yeah, I was like, I emailed you interested in therapy and now you're fucking calling me on my 305 phone number? Are you out of your goddamn mind? And what did you learn about me from my voice message? <laughs> exactly. Just tell me quickly. Just and she was like, off. I never have an opening, ever. This is like the first opening I have in a few years. And I, do you want to do this? And I thought, oh shit now I have to (laughs) and I did and she's been my therapist since then can you share any one or two things that you feel like you have directly learned or accomplished because of therapy no because she's mine and I want no one to um I didn't ask for the name (laughs) um yeah uh clearly she got you your her nitro (laughs) that's why you like her so much I I learned I learned the the power in knowing myself in knowing my pitfalls and what's challenging for me and then when I know what that is I can work on it and when it pops up I think oh yeah that's that thing that I do because of my childhood or because of this and the more that I understand myself and my and not like try to get perfect but just understand how i work and why i work oh, this emotion is happening because yes. of this which oh, allows me I an ability angry. to disconnect a yeah. little bit from oh, it. i get angry when this happens but my anger is actually sadness i then have a blueprint for who i am and then as a result my acting has been better and that took some time there was a while there well while i was working on myself my acting was very bad because I was coming off of, I still was kind of, I, I was trying to self-realize, right? And and think like, okay, who who am I? What are these things? Why am I the way that I am? And also, I don't want to operate from these, from the bullshit, from my, uh, you know, whether it's using comedy to deflect or all this. is like, what is actually at the heart of who I am as a person? And mm-hmm. why am I that way? I was still going in for a lot of like comedy stuff and the friend the best friend and that was at odds with trying to grow as a person interesting because it was still the same roles that I was going in for when I was like 26 or 27 and now I'm like about to turn 30 and I was it was really felt like I was being pulled in two directions in therapy and in all this work and and I'm I'm actually in group therapy as well I'm trying to to grow and it feels like a growth and, 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 and get to know myself. But then I go into the room and I'm expected to deliver a joke. And that was really hard. So how do you square that circle? I, I tell my team that I want different things now. Um, I, and you know, it's funny. And I remember my therapist telling me, you are going to have a hard time with some of your acting because the tricks that you're so good at 
are not servicing you anymore as a person. And it makes sense that you don't really want to go in a room and do those tricks. And that's just me. Like, And was I, that really like, when you say tricks, do you mean cleverness? Do you mean... Yeah, cleverness, being cute, uh, you know, having a just joke, not story, you know, like the old habits of... Mm. All cattle, no hat. Yeah, and just... Uh, or, or coming in and having too much story for a role that they don't really want that. You know, they just want you to be number five or seven on the call sheet and just like deliver a quirky thing. And that's just not, that. I'm that's not making me happy anymore. I I don't want to do that. And so then as I'm growing and evolving, I pick up the phone and I have conversations with my manager and my agents and I say, hey, I want different things. Like I don't, I want to start, for me it was like, I want to start going into drama. That's what I want to start doing. And that was really scary because I knew I could do it and I was ready for it, but no one had ever really... Yeah, you were the comedy girl. Yeah, I, I was, uh, but it wasn't fulfilling. I, I was like, I can do that. It, was, it just wasn't fulfilling me. And I wasn't also, I wasn't the lead comedy girl at this point where there is a little bit more story and more uh, air and, and more nuance, you know, and so... Uh, yeah I wasn't I was at odds with that because as a person I was growing but as an actor I felt really stunted um, in in the work that people were expecting from me and I don't know if that's my projection of the situation but that's definitely what it felt like and so I just really told them like I I need to I want to start going out for dramas how'd they respond they were very supportive and they said cool great we think you're you know we we think that you um are you can do that you know I I, I think they saw that I wasn't just full of shit and that I was ready for it and at the same time you're probably working on it in acting class right? yeah and I'm also terrified I'm I'm terrified that I'm gonna go in there and fall on my face and also you know can I can I do a scene and like not you try to use comedy as an out to run away from the vulnerability or from the emotional part and but that's the fun stuff. That's and then I realized like, oh, standing or doing a scene and feeling the the feeling like, oh God, I just want to run. But then staying, it could be part of the character what the character's going through too. And that and that is me. And that's that could be what I bring. I like that. You know? So because of time, we gotta move to a bit of a lightning round. Yeah. Um uh, I'm gonna throw out a couple things. Give me your whatever whatever the answer is that comes. Okay. Um, what's it like working on a big budget studio comedy? You were an office Christmas party. How is that set different, or what is that experience like? It's very overwhelming. It, you know, you really feel like the least important important person there, and and not in a not in like an egocentric way. I, I mean, more like there, it's just so big. It's so so big, and you realize that you're such a small part and small piece of something so enormous. Um, and um, but it's also really cool. It's cool. Do you it's find f- can you find freedom once you realize? Oh, I'm just this tiny piece. So I- you can. Yeah. If you're at, at if you're at peace with that, I think I think you can. I think you know. For me and that particular project, I had to just come to terms with what my, what my function was. And that's a lot A lot of when, you know, when you're starting out or if you're not a huge name, that's, and you get a part that you're really excited about, sometimes you show up on set and it's not the sides you auditioned for. It's not, you know, when it's like the sides, it's the most important scene in the movie or the show. It's yep. your scene. But then it just kind of gets you know it gets smaller or whatever it is and you just have to be okay with uh the uh, with like with your function with a huge movie like that i think that that's really smart because also so many people when you don't have a function i think about caesar milan helping dogs who are anxious (laughs) and second you give them a job boom it's really good and i think a lot of times when people don't know the function in the scene that's when all of a sudden the weird acting bad habits happen and then you don't know what to do with your hands all of a sudden because you're just operating in space in the weirdest way um tell me oh and that oh, that, that job too really reminded me of like tell me where to stand and what to say which is one of my favorite 
I say that to myself all the time when I get really caught up with like, oh God, what's the point of the scene? And like, am I really doing something good? And it's just like, no, just tell me where to stand and what to say. Uh, you know, I already got the part. I'm already good. I'm already telling the story that you want to tell by just standing here. Yeah. So I'll just say my lines and, and, and it's not being and like, don't, you know, and it's about not being so precious, especially in such a huge production like that. Okay. I like that. Um, what's something you've learned about acting on camera? Um, one practical piece of advice for existing in that frame, in a shot. Uh, how important your eyes are. It has to, people have to see, see it. I think if you're experiencing it, let, you know, let the, let them see it. And, and a lot of it is so small. A lot of it, a thought can just flash in your eyes and how powerful that can be if you just have honestly I mean for me it's just like just have the courage to to stay up there and not look away I like that um like you were my TA for a number of yeah, years many years um you're still in class you've seen a whole bunch of actors at different stages of their career uh -huh. speaking in this generalization what's something that you think most actors need to learn and haven't yet Ooh, that's a really good one I think I think young actors or people just starting out is remind yourself why you're doing it and what you like about it. Because if you're showing up to be told how good you are, oof, you're going to, it's going to be tough. I like that. It's going to be tough. Well, that is a good place to end on. Th uh, anything to plug? Anything coming out anytime soon? Anything to see? Um, I don't think so. We'll definitely check out Office Christmas Party. <laughs> Um, well, look, I know that you did some commercials that you don't want to talk about. I did and that some commercials. I also shot, I think I can talk about it because because it was announced, but I did, um, I worked a few days on Zach Galifianakis' movie, The Between Two Ferns, which was, I wish I'd talked about that. That was an amazing, amazing uh Well, we'll just have to have you on. Thing. You'll have to do yeah, it again. I, I don't know if I'll be, I actually have no idea if I'll be in the final cut, which is also part of our job is just mm -hmm. kind of doing your thing and walking off and leaving it My there. A friend of mine was in the infamous scene in Big Little Lies where Reese Witherspoon threw a threw the ice cream cone at Meryl Streep and, uh -huh. they got, and that was like in People Magazine Yeah, and then they cut the scene. Oh. So everyone heard about this scene. He was in it. It was going to be his moment with two giant movie stars and everyone was seeing the, the pictures in People Magazine and the scene's gone. Oh my God. I like, that's what it is. Yeah, I don't know if I'll be in the final, but I can't wait to watch that movie. It was so, so funny and it was so fun to work on. I mean, I just, that was one of those projects where I was excited to work with Scott Ackerman. I was excited to work with Zach Galifianakis, a bunch of people, and was just around these comedy people that I love. It was so, so great. Awesome. Well, let's have you back on when that's coming out. Yeah really get into it on that and you can plug it and by that time this will be live and we'll have lots of subscribers and more people will see it and know you because of it oh wow we'll see yeah wow well, <laughs> thanks for your, thanks, oh wow it sounded like the we'll see was about the podcast I no 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 that. no the podcast is 100% I just have given enjoy up your on, nitro enjoy yeah. your nitro <laughs> I've given up on like trying to figure out what the future is gonna be it's like yeah if I'm in the movie if not but I hey have me anytime Ab absolutely well thank you so much Chloe thank you Thank you so much to Chloe and to you, our listeners. Please, if you're enjoying the show, tell a friend, give us a shout on social media, and write us a review wherever you get your podcasts, especially if that's iTunes. Also, thank you to our presenting sponsor, John Rosenfeld Studios. I've got some guests coming up from some other areas of the industry, so if you've ever had a question for a headshot photographer or a stand-up comic, shoot them over to me at industrytownpodcast at gmail.com, and I'll try to work it into the show. Until next time.